Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter, at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, former Blue Jay Brett Cecil shares some necessary and difficult changes that have happened in his life since he left Toronto. I wasn't happy with the person I was becoming around my kids. Um, and once that started happening, once my attitude started changing towards them, um, and interacting with them that I knew it was time for a uh, time for a change. And now here's your host, Barry Davis. And you know, welcome to the show. And first of all, I mean, we usually do a little little sarcastic joke mm-hmm. uh, off that, but it, uh, we've got a rather serious program here. And not to say that we don't get into some laughs with Brett Cecil, but on the program today, we're really going to get deep into uh, his life. And the changes that he found were necessary to get on and become a better person. And I think, really, Tom, we should dedicate this entire show to becoming a better person. Uh, the, the world that we are living in right now really sucks. We all need to be better people. Uh, I'm going to kind of tip my hat to good people on this week's show. And that's why we're going to hear Brett Cecil talk about his story about becoming a better father and a better person. We're going to talk with uh, our dear friend, Mio Yokoi who is battling pancreatic cancer, stage four. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hear her perspective. Uh, we'll probably talk to her a few times over the next little while, but we want to get her to share her story. And if it can make you become a better person, then all that much better. Yeah, I think, you know, I can't wait for this talk. I think it's going to be really powerful for me as someone who lost my own father to pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. This hits really close to home. Absolutely. And, you know, we we all spend so much time moping, complaining, griping about the way the world is. And here's someone who's not going to have much world left. And she's making the most of every day. And I think we need to start making the most of every day. Uh, we'll also, on that whole theme of being a better person, uh, Raj Sapaya. And this will be an opportunity for you to talk with Raj this week, too. Oh, I can't wait. I have so many injuries to discuss. Well, we can't do them all today. <laughs> uh, but one thing we are going to talk about is, you know, with these new lockdowns, how it has affected foundation physiotherapy. Can you still go for therapy? And if you can't go or don't feel safe going, you know, what can you do online mm-hmm. via Zoom? And we're going to talk to Raj via Zoom. So we'll have all that. Uh, we won't have an Ask Barry Davis this week just because it doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Uh, but up next, uh, we will start our program as we look at one of the really good human beings in the world. And she's going to share a bit of her story with us. There is Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. And this is Out of the Park. Turned up. 
Well, that's a little We Ain't Petty here on Out of the Park. Uh, I Won't Back Down, that is our version, and I really wanted to play this song for our next guest. Uh, Mio Yokoi, you've been a part of my radio show and podcast in the, for, for a long, long time. I've got to know you because of you being a psychotherapist and going to visit you, and we've become really, really good friends, and it's so nice to be able to connect with you through Zoom but you've, yeah. got a, you've got a story that you want to share, and you've been sharing it on your YouTube page, and I know there are a lot of people that are already following it, but for those mm. who may not know anything, um, tell us a little bit about why we're here right now. Um, yeah, I guess, um, well, uh, I'll just cut to the chase, I guess, um, in that uh, about uh, two months ago, um, I was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, um, same one uh, or the same diagnosis, at least anyway, that um, Alex uh, had. Um, and so it's, it's a incurable um, diagnosis. Um, it's um, in the prognosis is a year, uh, maybe less, maybe more. Um, we're hope we're hoping for oh, yes. more. Um, and um, as we're talking about before we started recording today, um, you know, I think the one thing that's really important for um, anyone who is um, diagnosed. So, Mio, what made you decide to start documenting your journey on YouTube? Because everybody. Uh, that would go through something like this has different ways of, of processing it and manufacturing. Some people keep it very quiet. Other people want people to know. What what went behind your decision to document your journey? I think there's a few things. Um, the first one I would say is that um, I've been, uh, now I'm a former therapist. I'm a former psychotherapist. Um, and I worked um, in this work for the last, you know, 10 plus years. And um, I've also been um, involved in my own personal development work for goodness knows, like, you know, more than 20 plus years, you know. And one of the things that I learned over time is that being real and being vulnerable and putting truth um, out in the world um, there is value to it. There's, there's importance to it. And one of the things that I've often, you know, would work with my clients around is, you know, risking, right? Like being real and being open with ourselves and just being um, not with, not just only with ourselves, but with the folks around us and um, in the world, because there's so much like people, you know, saying like, oh, I'm so cool or like, you know, like everything's okay. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that it was really important for me to show that um, I, my, my real experience um, and hope that it has some kind of a resonance for, you know, people out there who might come across my story to see that um, maybe me being as real as I can um, in any given moment and maybe putting that out there uh, will allow for people to feel that um, that it's okay or that they can feel the connection. Uh, Mio, something that Barry may not have uh, you know, let you know about me, but um, I myself actually battled some pretty serious health issues. And um, at a really low point in time in my battle with mental illness, um, I actually made the decision um, to start sharing it. 
and you know, I made it at the time because it was, it was a time when I, I, I felt really low about myself. I, I felt that, you know, I was a failure in every sense of the word. And I, I figured, you know what, if somebody can at least learn from me, maybe, maybe that can help make the world better. Um, and, and, but it was out of that really low sort of nugget of, of a thought that actually came to me like the day after I'd been released from the hospital for the first time. Um, I, you know, everything that you're speaking about wanting to accomplish with your vlog, um, about sharing and, you know, sharing that information and providing comfort to people and, and guidance to people that are going through something similar. Um, you know, I found that in my three year experience, you know, vlogging my own illness, uh, not only did I feel that I did that in the end, um, but, you know, it, it helped give me that sense of accomplishment and, and positivity at some of my lowest points. And it is amazing to see somebody like yourself, uh, you know, picking up that journey because, um, you know, my own battle, it, it wasn't fun in a lot of ways, but talking about it and sharing about it, it's amazing. It, it does help us feel so much better. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to see you doing what you're doing and I can't wait to follow along. Um, and, you know, just sort of to keep it on the psychological a little bit, uh, how big a part do you think you know, your own psychological journey will play in your podcast or in your vlogs? Um, I think that that's sort of just inherent in who I am. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I'm, I'm very much um, been involved in my own um, mental health um, and um, my, my own like personal development and growth for like very long time, like over 20 years. And so in a lot of ways, I think, um, like from a psychological or like a mental and emotional, um, I think perspective, it's, it's a foundation that I have laid for myself. And I'm so grateful for the fact that I have over, you know, this period of time, like 20 some odd years leading up to this point, because it's giving me uh, stability, like at least like some kind of a scaffolding anyway, for me to be able to like manage and to think about and to absorb and to process uh, this last chapter and, and, and all that comes with it in my life. Um, so I think that um, in sharing, um, you know, how I'm going through what I'm going through, I think there is um, this that or that part of that psychological part of it, I, I'm hoping. Um, but I think, you know, what I'll also say is that, um, you know, that maybe another reason why I decided to share my story is um, it's, it's, it feels like a continuation in some ways of my therapy work, you know, and I, when in my private practice, I worked one-on-one -on -one with people. And even through one-on-one, -on -one, I believe there's a ripple effect, right? So every person that I work with, if they feel that there has been growth and there has been, um, you know, a way that they have uh, bettered themselves in some way, that is going to resonate with the people in their lives, right? So, you know, I've been able to do that um, for the last 10 plus years, so this one-on-one um, kind of way and then there's been those ripple effects that you know like I will never know of and that's fine mm -hmm. that's not you know the reason necessarily that why you know um, like I don't you know want to know or have credit or anything like that it's just I wanted to make sure in my life so let me back up for a moment so 
my first career, so uh, psychotherapy um, and being a therapist was my second career. My first career was um, in marketing. Um, uh -huh. I was, uh, yeah, so for the first like 16 plus years of my, um, my professional work was in uh, marketing. And, you know, it was, I'm living in downtown Toronto and I get to do cool projects and, you know, I get to go to press, uh, uh, like, you know, printing runs and see my stuff uh, or the things that I worked on in stores and things like that. Like, you know, there was like, there was like a, this cool aspect, right. Of like, you know, being in Toronto and like working in marketing and like working with advertising agencies and stuff like that. But I think ultimately, like over time, it felt like, like, where's the meaning in this, right? Like, sure, like I, um, you know, like worked on some signage for like a, a big um, brand, like a coffee brand in Toronto or something or in Canada, in fact. Um, and I get to see like, you know, that I had a hand in it or whatever. But like, who cares about that stuff? Like, you know, like a week or a month from now, like, what's the big deal? Like, there are people making money, there are people drinking coffee, whatever, that's great. But like more and more, I just felt like, oh, you know, like, sure, like this is cool and everything. And I get to live like a certain kind of a life and stuff, but it didn't have meaning for me. So I decided, um, especially after I started doing my own therapy work, where I started to feel like, oh, like I, there, there are choices that I can make that can have meaning in my life. And one of the things that I realized was at the end of, the day and this is a thing that I would like say to myself at the end of the day at the end of my life I want to say that I made a difference in some way in this world and whatever I was doing in marketing <laughs> wasn't that thing you know so the the one thing that I can say is that it's been such a, a amazing thing to have been able to have people trust me with their um, themselves um, to work with me in the way that you know the folks who worked with me in the last ten years, um, and and I'm and I feel like so incredibly fortunate to, to have worked with some incredible, incredible people, and and hope that I was able to make a difference in some way, shape, or form. And so I feel like what I'm doing with the my journey now and with the YouTube channel is some continuation of that and maybe um in in a larger way like not necessarily just a one-on-one -on -one way and i'm not working with people one-on-one -on -one. i'm not working necessarily um in with with what i'm doing but to share that um yeah like just just being real and honest um with who we are in our stories like i feel like um you know it, it connects us and with that connection i think that it can it can bring more meaning into our lives Mio, I know that you are doing your videos on a daily basis and releasing them like a few weeks later. But what Tom and I would like to ask is if you don't mind maybe once a week popping on with us on Out of the Park to share more and more of what people can look forward to seeing. And just because we like you so damn much, we want you on the show. <laughs> You know, um, I I would love to be able to just pop in and uh, give you an update on what's going on. Um, I I will the like, caveat and say like you know if um, um, if I'm in treatment or if you know like if if I'm if I'm able to if yes, I have the energy and I'm good to go I would absolutely love to. Absolutely. I, I will take that deal every day. Mio, 
Yeah. <laughs> what a pleasure chatting with you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Tom, as Thanks well. Thanks so much. There she is, Amelia Koi. And uh, I mean, on a personal note, Tom, when I got the message from her a week or so ago about what's going on, <clears throat> it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, you know, coming pretty much the same week that I find out about uh, my friend passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was a, it was a difficult time, but I have received so much inspiration from Mio uh, in our conversations. And I'm gonna tell you something: I talk with her daily. Um, I'll send her a text pretty much every day just to see how she's doing, and you know, it helps me and, and it helps her. And, and if it didn't help her, I wouldn't be bothering her. But uh, I just find that she she enjoys the conversation. So I hope that uh, you all uh, that are listening and regular out of the park listeners. Uh, can indulge the fact that uh, you know we'd like to keep up with Mio's journey over the next uh, several weeks and hopefully several years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right. it's one of those one of those talks that can seem like a depressing thing until you have it with somebody mm-hmm. like Mio. And, absolutely. And it is it's just such a wonderful, hopeful message that she brings. I, I can't I can't wait for more. All right, uh, we will still hear from former Toronto Blue Jay Brett Cecil, uh, but now let's talk a little physical fitness with our pal Raj Sapaya. <laughs> Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. Well, we are here sort of at Foundation Physiotherapy. We are virtual and Zooming. Tom's here. Raj is here. And we're going to talk about... This is the first time. Raj, you and Tom, you've never had a chance to interact. No, we've we've been on the same show multiple times, but this is our first time (laughs) together. How are you doing? Nice to meet you, man. Good to meet you. Good. So, Raj, uh, this past Friday, the announcement was made that more lockdowns were going to happen. Um, how is this or is this have any effect on foundation physiotherapy and your ability to treat people inside? Yeah, good, good question. Um, so l- lucky we are we were considered essential um, kind of around the first or just after the first lockdown like all your physios, your chiros, your massage therapists, your dentists, we all got called essential. So we've been on the essential list since then. Uh, with, the, with the lockdown that happened on Friday, because Toronto and Cleveland went into lockdown, um, they've kind of closed down most of other retailers. But um, lucky for our industry, we're still open. So we're still open for, for in-person care. And, um, you know, our safety procedures have still been top-notch since day one. Uh, because we're, we've always been an appointment-based industry, uh, we can control the number of people in the clinic and, and uh, you know, uh, we have, you know, plexiglass between the receptionist and, and our patients. And, you know, when the weather was nice, patients were waiting outside. Now we have plexiglass little barriers in between the actual waiting room chairs as well. Um, and we've staggered our appointments as well so that there's not too many people waiting and coming out at the same time. Uh, we've done things like contactless payments. Um, and things like that, and virtual kind of filling your forms online. So there's very little contact that has to happen. And when you're in the room with your therapist, um, you know, your therapist has the PPE. If they're working really close to your head, they might wear goggles. Um, And then obviously every patient is requested to wear a mask when they come into the session. So those are the same rules that have happened um, up to now. We're still following by those rules, and uh, we're still allowed to serve and help people because we are essential and people shouldn't be living with pain. And if anything, 
um, you know, it gets them out of the helm, it gets them exercising and gets them taking care of their health. And I truly believe, you know, we are one of those services that should remain open. And for any of our patients that don't feel comfortable, we also offer virtual in which you can jump on a call with a physio for 15 minutes and just go over some exercises and things like that. At least it gets you moving throughout the day, right? Better than sitting and because and, um, we need to be able to move now and, and Toronto and Peel residents are going to be um, more, more at home with this stuff. So it's good for us to touch base with a therapist, even if we can't go into person, we can do it virtually. You know, it's, it's obviously changed the way that you do business pretty drastically. Um, but I do have one question, you know, since COVID have the types of injuries you've been dealing with, have they changed as well? Are you seeing more yeah. of different types of injuries? Good question. So actually we don't see like the injuries. We don't see like those sports injuries because people are not playing as many like contact sports. Right. So in the summer I might've seen, like a lot of soccer players a lot of you know twisted knees and ankles like that was hardly happening because people were limiting it right mm. um but uh what we are seeing more actually guys are like stress and anxiety related injuries so those are like you're like you know i have something right now like just a little bit of achiness in my neck or headaches um people getting low back pain hip pain from a lot of sitting um and things like just that are you know maybe old injuries that are aggravated by anxiety um, and people not moving as much because they're not going to the gym, they're not playing their sports. Uh, people have changed their behavior because of the fear of the virus. So they're not even, you know, doing their regular activities as much. So, you know, those old injuries, those old knee injuries, those old hip injuries, those old surgeries you might have had are kind of flaring up a little bit, right? So we're seeing, uh, I wouldn't say they're injuries, but we're seeing more like flare-ups and, and different um, pains and, and, and achiness that is coming into our offices for sure. Raj, I know that you are a physiotherapist, and, and the question I'm going to ask you is probably not necessarily about physiotherapy, but I think in some ways it can be tied in uh, because you're a health person. Can you speak of the importance of vitamin D and the fact that when we're all indoors, we're being told to stay indoors, we're not getting that vitamin D. And I know it can do things for your immune system, but can it weaken your overall system? Is vitamin D something that's also vital for our physical health? There are ways to, to supplement um, the lack of sunlight that we're getting or the lack of activity we're getting, right? Now, does everybody need vitamin D? It really depends on the person and what's going on, Barry, right? A young person might be able to get away with it, you know, but somebody who's older, who's used to getting a good quality of, of sunlight and vitamin D in their life might need a little bit more on the supplement side. So I do think like even it's still good to go out for a walk, still good to get outside and, and do something, right? Um, versus just sitting at home. It's still recommended that we do that. Any type of light is good. So it's still important that we do that. And I, we still recommend to all of our patients, get outside. You know, you don't have to go to crowded places. Just go for a walk three times a day, mm -hmm. right? Even that is, can do so much for your health, right? Raj. Whether it's cold or not, just bundle up and go. That's right. Uh, the topic yeah. we would like to address this week is something that is personal for Tom, because Tom, you're going to be going into surgery mm -hmm. uh, in the next little while, next month. Yeah, hopefully, uh, you can still get this Fingers surgery. Fingers crossed, December but, 15th. Uh, yeah. <laughs> tell Dr. Raj what surgery you're having, and Raj, maybe you can give him some, uh, some you know, tell us what it is, first of all, yep. Raj, maybe, and, and Tom, you'll tell us what it's called, mm -hmm. and then Raj, you can maybe tell us what it is, and, you know, if there's any kind of physio that Tom could do after the surgery. So, so it was like a heavy, heavy activity injury. I was walking in my garden late at night looking at the stars and I clipped a stone 
and I stubbed the heck out of my foot and it just, you know, I, I, I broke the toe, um, but it was just a small mm. fracture and non-displaced. The x-ray didn't show anything, but it didn't feel right. And so here we are, you know, I think by the time COVID came around, I was scheduled for surgery on what they had discovered was a Morton's neuroma. And okay. then that got COVIDed, so that got put off. And then uh, I uh, am now really excited to be going in December 15th for... Uh, yeah, for surgery on it. So they're going to, you know, I've tried orthotics. I've tried uh, a cortisone mm. shot. I've, they've kind of run me mm. through the gamut. But if there's anything mm. you can think of and or maybe mm -hmm. let me know what to expect coming up next. I hear it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think maybe, Tom, you've reached the point where you, you have the surgery book. So I'm going to say, like, could stick with that. And then <laughs> after surgery, there's lots of things to do. But if we're talking about, let's say we had addressed this issue a year ago, um, there's probably some things we could have done to try some different things we could have done to try to alleviate it. So first of all, uh, a Morton's neuroma for everybody out there. Um, you know, those pads we have under our toes, right. Um, you know, they're to help take weight and, and help protect our feet when we walk. Uh, and then as we understand like our feet, right, like they're quite, they're quite receptive to, to senses, right? Like that's why they're very ticklish. There's a lot of nerves that go into our feet. The feet are very important structures because the feet helps our body, the rest of the human body tell us where we are right um the, you know that's why feet are they have, they have lots of nerve there's lots of nerve endings sorry i don't know if you're my kids in that's the okay yelling. they're running around I getting their that. exercise i like that's it actually. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um okay i'm just like hey guys can you just be quiet for like three minutes <laughs> daddy's on a call please thank you if you could get if you could so, get them to cheer every time you make a good point <laughs> yeah that would be great <laughs> yeah. it's like a studio audience they're actually playing with these little like um these little like um the just little sound machine things that go da -da 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 -da. <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of cool <laughs> awesome. daddy says something it goes like that so what happens is tom likely because of the excessive weight you've been putting on on your feet and i think you mentioned you had a you had a knee injury prior to this mm -hmm. on the other side so you probably changed your gait right um so you've been putting a lot of weight on that foot and then what happens is that the tissue that kind of protects our nerves gets swollen and thickened Right. Mm -hmm. And then it puts pressure on the nerve and then you start to get a lot of pain because nerves are they're nerve endings. They're meant to create sensation. But when nerve endings get irritated, they get very painful. And nerves can be one of the most painful structures. So, um, you know, it, you, you've probably tried the gamut of, of, of treatments up to now um, and, and you're going in for surgery so they can move a little bit of the nerve ending so that it takes some of the pain away but in for future for future prevention because you still have more nerves that go into your toes mm -hmm. you still have other toes uh, that you don't want to develop these neuromas in um, i would suggest a large part is strengthening we want to be able to take the weight off so understanding why are you putting a lot of weight on that left side of your foot in particular right mm -hmm. um, we should be maybe fixing your gait strengthening your knees strengthening your hips right there's lots of different ways to take the weight off um, like you said, there, there could be, there could be some use for some orthotics, mm -hmm. but I also think there's use for like strengthening what we call the chain, right? Not just what's happening at the foot level, but you're absorbing weight at your knees and your hips and fixing the way you walk so that there's less weight on your toes. Your feet don't, your body doesn't have to rely on all your weight on your toes. Okay. Does that make sense to you, Tom? Uh, <laughs> more of a fundamental holistic approach, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's it. Is this a common thing, Raj? It, it, yeah, because your feet, like, and the way, uh, you know, the way the, a good physiotherapist look at it, the way that our team looks at things is the feet don't work in isolation. I've told, I've had this conversation with Barry so many times. We, we call it a holistic approach, but it's really just a team approach, right? Mm -hmm. Your feet can't do anything unless your knees and your hips are helping too, 
So to assume that the feet are the only people and the only thing structures involved in this would be kind of like not doing due diligence. We have to look at the whole unit because when you take weight in your foot, your weight, your knee is working and so is your hip. So if your knee is stronger and your hip is stronger, your foot would have to do less work, right? So some of our strategies is let's strengthen the whole body. That's a preventative strategy, Tom. So if we don't want to be experiencing this later, we would do a lot of stretching to release the, the, the tension in your, in your feet, obviously, first after surgery. That's the first, first important thing is let's obviously settle the pain down in the foot. Mm -hmm. But then to prevent this from happening on the other foot or on the other toes, let's work up the chain, let's strengthen the knees, let's strengthen the hip, let's strengthen the core. And, you know, you work better. Uh, Barry was having like elbow pain and we were working on making his shoulder stronger and his elbow pain got better, right? And that's because we have to look at the whole body as a unit because everything works together. Still a little sore here and there, Raj, but it's getting better. And, you know, you <laughs> yeah. gave some advice uh, to my wife the other day. She smacked her, her uh, this part of her arm. What would mm -hmm. you call this part of your arm, Raj? The shoulder. The shoulder, right? <laughs> yeah. And she got a big goose her egg shoulder, on her, her shoulder. Biceps, yeah. Right. And then, you know, the next day her wrist was really hurting and, you know, yeah. wondering if this was, you know, separate or connected. And now she feels much, much better. Thanks to your wonderful advice, yeah. Raj Sapaya. So how can people <laughs> make an appointment to uh, visit somebody or do a virtual appointment on uh, Foundation Physio? Oh, I mean, the, the best way is just to go online, foundationphysio.com. And you can choose in person or virtual. If you're not in Toronto um, and you like what you hear, then we totally uh, um, appreciate you don't have to travel to the city. You can do a virtual call with any member of our team. And we'll be happy to do a, a call and understand what's happening and just give you some advice over the over the Zoom call. So um, online, foundationphysio.com. You can choose virtual or in-person. We'll be happy to work with you. And we will be virtual with you again next week, Raj. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. little three days grace for you some good canadian music and a huge three days grace fan joins us on the line now and uh cecil i think you you kind of introduced me to this band because I, I kind of vaguely knew them but i remember seeing you in the clubhouse at spring training and you're like this band freaking rocks and you got to get into them i know they're they kind of suck now because they don't have uh ganche singing for them anymore but how the hell did you become a a three days grace fan uh just during high school, um, pretty much listened to them, um, Breaking Benjamin, growing up all through high school, um, guys riding in the car from school actually got tired of it. Just, it was them playing all the time. I never, I never went to any other bands, no other singers. It was just, it was them and that's it. Um, and then I got, uh, I got to go to the MMBAs in Toronto and um, ended up seeing Adam uh, doing an interview so I, uh, I just flagged him down and asked if I could take a quick picture with them. And he asked what, uh, what we did. There was a couple of guys, uh, me, Casey, Casey Jansen. And, um, uh, I can't remember who man, else. You forget your guys. teammates already. That's sad, man. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. It's been a while since this, this encounter happened. Um, but I, yeah, I know Casey was there. Um, but yeah, just got to talking to him and, and told him that we played baseball and he was a huge fan. So I've kept in touch with him since then and, and uh, has become a really good friend. That is so freaking cool, though, right? I mean, I, I know so many 
ball players that are huge music fans and vice versa, right? I, I had the thrill of meeting Eddie Vedder at the World Series in Chicago, and that was like the coolest thing in the world because he's such a huge Cubs fan, right? And I, I got yeah. out my phone. I said, can, you know, can I get a pick? And he said, sure. He reaches into his pocket and he hands me a freaking guitar pick of his. I said, no, I meant a picture, but I'll, you know, I'll take the pick. But, um, you know, people forget because, you know, you were kind of in the limelight and people had your jerseys and wanted your autographs that there's still that kind of little Cecil kid inside of you that is also a fan. Right. So was that kind of surreal to, to meet someone you were such a big fan of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and to keep in touch with them, it's still kind of, you know, surreal to this day to, you know, be able to just, you know, whatever I want, just text me like, Hey, what's up, man, how's it going? And just, you know, just have a conversation with the guy and he's just somebody that, you know, growing up, I just thought was awesome. And I still think he's, you know, awesome. And it's just, it's really cool that he's, he's one of my good friends now. So, have you ever picked up the guitar and tried playing it yourself? <laughs> Did when I was uh, when I was rehabbing um, last last year um, when I had surgery, um, I I picked up uh, kind of ordered a little beginner guitar and a little amp off of Amazon and downloaded the uh, um, I forget what app I was downloading mm-hmm. when I was watching, but um, did it for like two weeks and i told myself i because with a lot of stuff like that that's like really hard to learn later in life i'll mm-hmm. try it and then i'll kind of not give up but just not make time for it um after a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. that's exactly what i did <laughs> but i still have, still have the guitar i still have the still have the app so um it, it's just I waiting for you yeah, yeah, it's just waiting for me. I would like to would like to keep trying, um, but I did just I just moved into a new house, um, selling a house, just a lot of stuff going on. I can't really can't really have the time to just sit down and do something like that. I gotta there's a more important stuff needs to be taken care of, but um, but yeah, it'll be waiting there for me when I when I have time. This is a huge important question. Do you play left-handed? No, I play right-handed. Oh, okay. Oh. Did you try to play left-handed first? Left-handed, what's right-handed? Like, I have my left hand on the strings, so, and I pick with my right hand. So Then I'm you're right-handed. Assuming. That's that, okay. Yeah, that's playing mm-hmm. right-handed. So, yeah. wow. Did, so you never even thought about trying it left-handed? You right away just picked up a guitar? Because left-handed guitars are harder to find, right? Maybe that's why it was uncomfortable for you. Ever think of that? I don't know. Maybe it is really hard. <laughs> Up well, to like get all with my fingers, maybe it'd be easier with my right hand to do that. I don't know. Well, the good news is, if you ever decide you want to pick up guitar again, uh, Tom does virtual guitar lessons and he's good, so you know, oh. something to keep in line. I do down actually, the line, yeah. right? Yep, yeah, you know what? Ba- baseball players actually do really well with guitar because, especially right off the bat, it's such a physical thing because you're dealing with muscle memory. You know, you're dealing with yeah. building your hand strength, and a lot of people get into it thinking it's going to be like the piano where they can just kind of knock on some keys, and it hurts their hands. That you get yeah. blisters, and and uh, you know, for that reason, the athletes you don't want to do great. Brett, you don't want Brad getting blisters, man. Those are, <laughs> those are bad, man. Not those type of blisters, minor yeah. blisters. So, hey, um, what's happening with you? First of all, physically, because I know you've gone into a bunch of real crappy luck over the last little while, and I think it all started 
when you kind of rolled your ankle there in that great year you were having, um, have you have you gotten yourself back to full health? Have you uh, are are you planning on trying to get back to playing next year? Where are you at? Um, I don't know. It's it's, it's up in the air right now. I would like to first. I just want to you know I'm going to start throwing you know soon, and um, I think once I'm able to get off the mound, then that's that's going to be the the give me a sign whether or not, um, you know, plan would be in the cards or not. Um, but I'm, I mean, physically, I'm, I'm in great shape, a lot better shape than I was when I was with Toronto. Um, these last, these last, uh, two, two and a half years have been kind of a real transformation for me, um, as far as physically and, and, um, um, you know, like you said, the injuries kind of uh, stalled me for a little bit, and but I'm all healed from those, and um, yeah, I'm gonna start throwing here a little bit, and we'll we'll go from there. Once I get off the mound, I'll be able to really tell whether uh, whether I'll be competitive enough to pitch in the big leagues again. Do you have a timeline for when you're gonna get up on that mound? Um. I would say probably, I mean, normal, normal off season, probably get off the mound starting in sometime early January, first couple of weeks of January. You know, we've, we've spoken to a lot of players over the last month that aren't in the game anymore. And for many of them, they got to a point where they just wanted to play. And if they had to play minor league baseball, you know, Ricky went and played in the Mexican league and, you know, we spoke yeah. with, to Scott Richmond, and he's playing for Team Canada, and all these guys are doing different things. Deanna Navarro was playing in the Independent League. Are you interested in any of that, or is it one of those things where it's major leagues or screw it? I, I've had my my time, and it's time to move on. Like, where, where's your head at with that? I play. Like, if I signed a minor league deal with a major league invite, didn't make the big league club and I was playing in triple a, I would, if I was having fun and I was doing well and I liked the guys that I was playing with and it was just a good group, then, you know, and I didn't get called up, you know, whenever that time would be, um, then I would, I would just, I'd stay and kick it in triple a. And, um, you know, as long as I was having a good time and if I didn't make it to the big leagues that year, then, you know, probably time to, to hang it up and move on. But, um, you know, I just it, it would all depend on how how I was doing. If I was having fun and they just didn't have room for me, then you know I'd just play it out and and wait for my chance. I wouldn't, uh, you know, if I was doing well, I just wouldn't, you know, just tell them screw off and stop. I would just, you know, I would just enjoy my time and and uh, you know probably call it a call it a career after that and um, you know move on. Have you? But I give- can't. Go ahead. I can't. I can't see myself going and playing independent ball and you know overseas or you know other you know Dominican leagues or anything like that. I just you know I've I've had a I've had a wonderful career and um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and you know beat it out of myself to to get better when you know I've I've you know seen my my share of greatness and great times and. Um, you know, I have, I have three kids, um, you know, they, they, uh, 
want to spend time with me and, and deserve to spend time with me. I've, I've uh, they've been dragged around and, you know, gone to different cities and seen me play and, and, um, you know, they've enjoyed it, but you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's their time, their time now I feel like, and, and they deserve that. You know, it's such a good point. And I remember when I stopped traveling with the team and, you know, decided to take up a new life after baseball one of the great mm-hmm. things out of that was I started to redevelop a relationship with my son because you know I barely saw him you know for the first yeah. what 18 years of his life right uh <laughs> are you in some ways as much as you want to keep playing baseball there's a side of you that says I also am really excited about being able to to be a dad again and actually spend time and you know, be out there on, on the ball field with your sons or, or whatever the case may be, or, you know, teaching them just how to throw a ball or how to, you know, maybe play guitar, but you're probably not the best for that, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I did a little bit of that this, um, this past, uh, couple of weeks, my, both my sons wanted to do soccer. So I signed them up for soccer and, you know, I took them, uh, pretty much every Saturday and, um, you know, got to, got to watch them compete. And it was, it was something I really enjoyed watching and, and they really enjoyed it. Um, my youngest son, they actually won the championship. So that was really cool to see. And, and, um, just to see how, you know, how, how he reacted and, and, um, to, you know, scoring goals and how happy he was and, you know, fist pumps he was given. And it was just, <laughs> cool to watch and I look forward to more of that and I actually signed him up for um uh it's a baseball instructional program it's kind of the same thing they just they go on Saturdays they practice and then they play a little game after and and um, sort of the same thing so it should be fun you know has 2020 obviously the year didn't pan out for you uh from a baseball perspective the way that you know you, you were hoping I'm sure uh, but has it given you the opportunity to kind of peek ahead to that life after you've made the decision to stop competing? Um, and, you know, are, have you seen anything in this last year that kind of made you go, hey, that's what I want to do next? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's really the last, <laughs> the last, um, you know, two years have kind of given me a, a sneak peek at that. I haven't, you know, I haven't played since, um, uh what 2018 wow yeah uh, so yeah i mean this these last two years have, have been you know kind of a uh, sneak peek at retirement and um and you know the first year i was um you know really working hard to get back so i really wasn't experiencing much of what retirement would be um now 2000 20 would, would have been that. And, uh, it, it has been that and it's been, it's been nice. I mean, I, I've, you know, enjoyed seeing my kids a lot more, um, you know, kind of staying in one place a lot more not traveling around so much. And, and, um, you know, the stress level is down a little bit just from, you know, not playing and, and dealing with, you know, high stress situations and good stress situations, but stress is still stress. And it's, uh, but it's been nice, but, um, you know, I like to, I like to compete as well. So, um, you know, we'll see how that, how that goes when I start throwing and when I get off the mound. You know, there are other ways to compete, you know, I mean, you can, uh, take shots with a soccer ball at your son, stick him in goal, right? You can, you know, I, I think it was, uh, 
Snyder, Travis, we were talking to Travis about how he's like, you know, he wants to cook better than anyone can cook, right? And if he, if, if someone cooks better than him, then he's pissed off and he wants to, you know, outdo him, right? So it's oh, funny I, how when you're born to compete, it's always there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So uh, a lot has changed with you since you were in the Blue Jays organization. And, well, first of all, for, for the fans that, you know, have stuck with you all this time. And one thing, dude, one thing I had so much respect for you is that if there was a day when, like, even when you were a starter, if you weren't starting that day, you would, like, plant yourself in the stands and just sign autographs <laughs> for, for a half an hour. What? Yeah. So many guys would just do the fake I can't hear you fans and just keep walking, but you always stopped and signed. Why did you do that? Um, it was just, uh, honestly, it was just a, it was a treat for me. I mean, I got to, got to meet a lot of people. There's uh, there's a lot of different kinds of people in Toronto, a lot of diversity, and that's that's one of the things I really enjoyed most about that city. Um, and yeah, I would, um, you know, I started out just kind of standing on the on the fence line, signing autographs, and then I'd, I'd be there for longer. And then I'd okay, climb over the fence or the little the little section and sit down right there. And then um, you know, it was just, you know, I enjoyed being more more personable with with people and and um you know not just kind of passing by signing you know and then you know have have little conversations with people as i sign with them and especially the kids i love i love signing for kids and um that was a big thing for me when i went to uh camden yards in baltimore was you know just you know trying to get autographs and and um i wasn't as aggressive as I should have been about it when I was a kid I just kind of like stood back and waited my turn didn't really push through or shove through anybody and I kind of missed my chances <laughs> if you um I remember that I remember that happened with that anyway he was uh he was in New York and I was playing at Camden Yards and I was just waiting patiently at the back waiting to get down to him and um and it, as soon as I got down there he's uh, I got to go inside now. And he just laughed. And I was like, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, crying upset. I was upset. He was my favorite player, but, um, you know, I knew there, hopefully, hopefully there'd be other chances, but, um, but yeah, I made sure, um, you know, once I got to the big leagues that, you know, kind of make that, uh, you know, more of a priority than, than some guys do. Not that Don didn't, he definitely did. Um, but I was just a little bit too late getting down there. Like I said, I wasn't aggressive enough, but, um, yeah, I tried to make time for, for as many people as I could. And, um, you know, it was definitely felt, felt bad for sure when I had to actually had to go inside and, and start getting ready for the game and, um, and didn't get the people that, uh, that were waiting, but, um, but yeah, I tried to make time for as many people as I could. You should have blew off the media more than you did. <laughs> Sorry, but you know what? It, it used to become a joke, Tom. Without me even saying anything, Brett would just walk by and he go, "Sorry, Barry. <laughs> Sorry. No comment. Sorry, I got nothing for you, man." I was like, "I don't want to talk to you." It's like I don't care. I just got nothing for you. <laughs> well, that was you know that was your thing. Like, okay, so Mattingly, did you get a chance to meet him once you were in the majors then, and and have a chance to talk to him? And and what was that like? No, I have really. Uh, I've not. No. And you think I would being with right. St. Louis and being uh, the manager of Miami, but um, but no, I haven't. The only I did get a chance to meet Andy Pettit and talk with him. Um, he was my 
Don was my favorite first. I played first base and pitched growing up, so it was Andy Pettit and Don Mattingly and, and um, eventually Tino Martinez when he became the first baseman for for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, Andy was the only person I got to uh, I got to have conversation with, which was kind of cool and, and really surreal. And he's the only other, like, pro baseball player I've ever met where, like, I was, I was stumbling over my words and it was, it was hard for me to like generate a to talk to him. And, uh, but, um, it had, it was really cool because we had both just pitched against each other. Um, the, I think two nights before and in an interview with, uh, one of the Yankees reporters, I had just mentioned that, you know, he was kind of my, my idol growing up and I tried to, you know, mimic his delivery, his pickoff move. And, you know, I guess she mentioned that and it was, he was, I had just thrown my pen two days later he was running and um he just called to me in, in the outfield and we met behind second base in center field and just had a nice like five minute chat and and it was it was pretty surreal and like i said i was i was uh, <laughs> i was a nervous as nervous as i've ever been <laughs> you're reaching for a piece of paper it's like shit i need to get his autograph man <laughs> so did you mention you pitched against him in a game just the yeah. two days or how did that feel another another surreal moment um i can't uh i think that was i think that was 2009 i think but i can't i can't even remember the result of the game and not that i really really cared i was just i was just happy to be you know pitching against him it's and somebody that i was you know idolizing up through high school and and uh, mimicking and then you know here i am years later pitching against him in the big leagues Wow. You know, I remember the earlier stages of your career and the amount of times, you know, you were sent down and, you know, you had the stint as a starter and things didn't work out. And I used to text you anytime you got sent down, I would send you a text and say, listen, keep your head up. I know you're going to be back, blah, blah, blah. What kept you going during those times? Because that's got to be really hard on, on the whole psyche, because growing up to make it as far as you did, you had to be the best or close to the best in all the teams you played on as a kid. Everyone was telling you how great you were. You sign, you know, you, you get this contract, you're in the majors, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of facing a failure that maybe you've never felt before. What was it that mm-hmm. kept you going and prevented you from saying, oh, screw this shit, I can't do it anymore? <laughs> um, well. Was it the I text mean, for me? For- <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, you know, I was excited that I had to be back up there and see you. Um, but uh, I mean, first and foremost, the passion for the game, you know, obviously. And um, I think, um, you know, some of the things that my dad did for me when I was younger, which I didn't even know about until I was older. Um, and one of those things was, you know, when I was playing on, you know, really competitive teams growing up and through high school, um, there would be, you know, uh, papers, you know, local papers, you know, that would call and they would want to talk to me if I was, you know, if I did well in a championship game, they want to get a quote or do, you know, just call the house and, and talk to me. And, and he would never let anything like that happen as far as like me talking to the media, because he didn't want my, he didn't want me to think that, you know, Oh, I've made it, you know, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to work any harder. And, you know, just, stuff that gets in your head from talking to media. <laughs> <laughs> Don't include me in that crap. 
No, 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 not at all. But um, <laughs> I mean, well, that's one thing. That's what they teach you about when you're when you're young in the pro ball. They they teach you how to deal with you know media and stuff. And you know, being in high school, you know, I probably would have thought it was like the coolest thing ever. And you know, I might have had a couple thoughts like that. But um, but yeah, I think that's he. That's one of the things that he tried to keep me away from and just keep my focus on the somebody trying uh, to steal your car no <laughs> I, it's i'm at my girlfriend's place and it's been going off for about a half hour okay so. <laughs> yeah all right um yeah he tried to keep me away from all that stuff to just you know keep my keep my focus on the on the uh on the field and um i think that's that probably helped a lot as far as just keeping my focus where it should be and, and not on and not on other things that didn't really matter at the time. You mentioned your girlfriend. Now, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you mentioned her. So uh, people that are watching or listening to this are saying, well, what do you mean girlfriend? You know, everyone, uh, well, a lot of fans were aware of, of your wife, Jennifer, because she was very vocal on social media, as you probably know. But um yep. what what's going on man um things have obviously changed for you personally yeah for uh better part of two years been been dealing with um trying to get a divorce and um you know just i wasn't uh i wasn't happy wasn't uh wasn't happy with the person i was becoming around my kids um and once that started happening once my attitude started changing towards them um and interacting with them that I knew it was time for a, uh, time for a change. So, um, yeah, two years, about almost two years ago, um, I, uh, I made that change and, and, um, I'm couldn't be happier. Um, my kids are loving life. Um, they're happy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy when I'm around them. I have so much fun with them so much more fun than, than I did. And, uh, I'm, just in a much much better place um now that i've i've made that change and it was it was difficult it was something that i thought you know long about and something i didn't want to do because of them and then it ended up you know something i had to do for them um and and uh, yeah so it's it's such a complex thing right i mean and you're right the kids are always the first thing you think about and I know people my age and probably even your age, you know, divorced parents was pretty rare. Now it happens so often, it almost seems like kids are more conditioned and more prepared for that. Were you maybe surprised at how well your kids dealt with the situation of, of you guys being divorced? Um, at first, I, I didn't think they would... I only thought Brighton would kind of know exactly what was going on because he was still young. He didn't really, I think, grasp what was what was happening. Um, but um, as far as me being away, I mean, it's it was pretty much you know, kind of the in-season type deal where I'm, I'm here for a little bit, I'm back on the road, here for a little bit, that, that kind of thing. But um, I think once it once it really kind of got in motion and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't living in, in the house anymore. And they were, they were just, 
you know, they would come stay with me at my, my townhouse, which was like 25 minutes away. And then it was like, you know, why are we staying here and not, you know, here or, you know, things like that. And I think that's when it, when it started to started to set in and, and, um, seen a couple, you know, signs, just, uh, you know, things at school that, you know, they, they might be thinking about that rather than, you know, schoolwork and, and, um, just, you know, sitting down and talking with teachers and, and stuff, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been a good transition. Um, you know, I know I've personally tried to make it as, as easy as possible for them. You know, we've talked to a number of former players and, it's not the first time we've heard of of marital distress in you know in in relationships with between baseball players and their wives you know the the distance the um the constant separation and you know i couldn't help but notice you, you said it's been 2 years now that uh since mm-hmm. the divorce so that would generally coincide pretty well with the time that you've been off from the game um, was that a part, did that play a part in the mix that, that changed to, to being there all the time or were things already kind of on the rocks before? No, that, that had, honestly, if I was there more, it probably would have happened quicker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it was, um, that, that didn't have anything to, to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was more just, um, you know, her as a person and, and what she continued to do that, you know, just wasn't coinciding with, you know, how I wanted life to be. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the fact that, I mean, she's also still the mother of your kids too, right? And then there's going to be times where like, do you split the custody with the kids? Yeah. It's equal time sharing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are, is it at least amicable when you're able to like, cause you know, if it was me, and I got divorced from my wife, I would be like biting my tongue to not say to my son, you know, your, your mom's a this or that, right? You know what I mean? But you can't because it's also their mother, right? Uh, <laughs> is that been a challenge for you at all? Um, well, what is after the um for Brett Cecil? Uh, as you heard, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a very open and candid Brett Cecil and, uh, just real quickly, Tom, to respond to a critic or two that has said, uh, Barry, why are you uh, digging into somebody's private life? It's not right for you to do that. I didn't, as you heard, dig into his private life. He brought up his private life. And he wanted to speak about the divorce, but more in a sense of what that did for him as a human being and how he became a better person. Yeah, you know what, and and that's where I'd go with it, right? Like, this was a really good chat, Mm -hmm. and it was really open, it was really honest, and yeah, it might have treaded on some difficult things, but you know what? Maybe we kind of need to do that as a society right now. Absolutely. We we need to. There is lots more of Brett Cecil as he continues to uh, get pretty deep into his private life. Again, not because we solicited him to. Uh, If you want to become a member of the Out of the Park family, go to Thomas patreon.com slash out of the park and a great part two coming up of brett cecil uh folks we also want to send a big thank you to Mio yukoi who joined us this week and uh please check out her youtube page uh it means a lot to her and it means a lot to me as well um as she shares her journey just a wonderful conversation with Mio. yeah 
and also our pal Raj Sapaya. Thank you for joining us each and every week as well. Uh, let's not forget our friends at Ballistic Sports. The new board game should be out soon, Tom. I'm excited. Soon, soon, soon. And uh, I've already got the board. I'm waiting for the pieces. Yep. So uh, we were hoping to chat with Don Corby this week. Uh, that has been postponed till next week's show when we will be joined by... I'm going to tell our members on the private page. I think that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, You guys will find <laughs> out later. All right, folks, thank you again so much for allowing us to share all these stories and making us a part of your week.